Just take a moment and pray. Father, thank you that you're meeting us right here, right now, in this moment. Lord, thank you that you could meet us anywhere at any time in our life. Thank you, Lord, that you've met us in times of rejoicing and you've met us in times of desperation. Thank you, Lord, that you're here with us. So, Father, as we've met you in praise and adoration, as we're meeting you in your word that is true, that will not return void. As we know, Lord, we will meet you in the breaking of the bread. Be made known to us now in this moment so that we can be transformed as a result of meeting you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in week four of the series, Love Your Neighbor. And I promise you, after this week, you didn't have to do it anymore. So this is four weeks. You've all completed your task after today. A year from now, maybe we'll come back. I'll give you a reminder that uh, it's really important that we remember that and we come back to that place. I, I want to share with you, I'm going to pause there for a moment because I shared it in the earlier service about a word the Lord put on my heart and what happened. And, uh, and I will pull it together because that's what the Lord does. Is he's speaking something. If we're willing to listen, we'll hear him. Amen? Amen. So this morning I get up, uh, woke into a fire alarm. And that's... that's you know, if you, you live in the city, you generally don't hear fire alarms, but on the island, it's volunteer fire departments, and we have those lovely horns that go off all the time, uh, and they go off at different hours. And we happen to live right behind one and one right across the street. So we get a double whammy of, of, of those alarms, and uh, they go off at random times. And I remember asking a volunteer fireman, um, listen, We've evolved with technology. Can we do something a little better here? Isn't there something that we can do a little different than sounding that, 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 that horn that goes off? He said, actually, there are radios that contact them and let them know. But they said that without a shadow of a doubt, the thing that's most effective is when the alarm is sounded. And when they sound the alarm, that's what awakens those who are asleep. That's what gets the attention of those who need to come to serve. And the alarm goes off, and it's a reminder to tell us that there's some, something in distress, that there's something going on, that there's a response needed as a result of that. So I was thinking about that this morning as it was going off and you know, in, interrupting my prayer time, and I was getting aggravated by it. And then the Lord started to speak to me about sounding the alarm and the importance of that. And what does that mean in a spiritual realm? And then, lo and behold, at the 9 o'clock, our fire alarms went off this morning. So I was thinking, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? Is there something more? I'll tell you what, Lord, one more message, and then I'll respond. You know, I need one more sign, and then I'll truly know that you are speaking. Joel chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain." Let the inhabitants of the land, what? Tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. And we've been speaking about loving our neighbor. And I believe we're in a time and a point in our life and in our culture where the Lord's reminding us to sound that alarm. And it's going to look different and it might even sound different. And that there's going to be those all around us that are in distress. 
And, and, and as that sounded, we're called to be the ones who are, are sounding an alarm, the holy trumpet that's going before, one that's a reminder that we've won the battle, that we can't be defeated, that Christ has that victory, and that we can meet him in that place. And I think that he's sounding an alarm in each of us, and that we have to respond to that calling in our life, that we have to, it's a time or a season for the church to press in, not to retreat. Not to pull back. And part of that pressing in, part of sounding that alarm in our own lives, is how we're going to sound that alarm in others. And how we're going to bring that to our neighbors. How we're going to be the church visible and triumphant to those around us. And we've been talking about these last four weeks, and maybe the Lord is stirring something in you. Maybe there's going to be a deeper call for prayer. To, to get quiet before him so we could listen and hear that. Maybe there's a deeper call to serve in a way that you haven't been able to do it before. Maybe there's a deeper call to connect as he's calling us to do with those around us. And we went over the last few weeks, and for a quick recap, the first thing I said was God's blueprint of love and how important it is. Love God, love yourself, and love your neighbor. That he lays out this blueprint. Why? Because we discover a greater love of who he is when we love others. And he calls us to that place. To do so, we're reminded that we have the forgiveness principle. That, that we have to learn to forgive, forget, and then walk in the freedom of that. So that we can love others. Last week I spoke about three practical ways to love your neighbor without being weird. A love that will attract them, not a love that will make them run from you. And he calls us to that place. And those three ways is the connect, serve, and pray. Or pray, serve, connect. However you align those three things. And he's calling us to do that. And last week I talked about serving simple things that we can do to just serve in our community. Serve our neighbors around us. Why is it so important that we're called into the CICs or the communities in Christ? Because we want to make the church visible to those around us. And I said there are things that you could do like taking your neighbor's garbage can. How hard would that be? We always see it, right? We walk right past it and go, not my problem, and we wheel ours in. What would that look like? And we could start the garbage can ministry, right? <laughs> Can't wait to get everyone to sign up for that one, you know? I'll do Mondays and Thursdays. I'll do Tuesdays. Forget about recycle days. I'm not doing recycle bins. I draw the line, Lord, on recycle bins. Garbage can, maybe. So we talked about it. This little simple gesture of putting it away for them, just... When they ask you, you could say, because God loves you. And he wanted me to tell you that. I don't know. So I, we talked about that last Sunday. So Monday morning, I go off for a run. Come back in the morning from the run. Sunday night's my garbage night. They pick up Monday morning. You put it out. And I finish on my block. And I stop at my block. And there's all the garbage cans laid out. <laughs> it's the first thing that caught my attention. I said, Lord, I am not walking up and down my block putting away all the garbage cans. You've got to be kidding me. And the Lord says, you're going to practice what you preach or what? So I negotiated with the Lord. And I said, Lord, surely just my side of the block, right? That I'm not responsible for the other side of the street. And there I am. And my neighbor's got to think I'm nuts. There I am, picking up cans. Oh, Jesus told me to do it. I don't know what to tell you. I told the church to do it. A simple gesture and how important that could be of, of, of showing love, that we can do those little things that we can do. See, the church is to be visible to the world through our love for God and our love for one another. Yeah. 
That's what we're called to do. And in today's gospel, there's a lawyer who approaches Jesus, and he asks Jesus a million-dollar question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? We've all had that question, and we all have different answers to that question. And pre-walking in a relationship with Christ, we, most of us might have thought, hey, being a good person should be a good enough answer, right? If I'm just a good person, that should be enough. But this question was asked for a, a deeper understanding for the lawyer, but really it was something else that was going on in the lawyer's life. So Jesus does what he always does. He answers or responds to a question with a question. Often now he would teach that way. And he asked back a question. He says to the lawyer, what does the law say? Now the reason he said it and the reason he, he would ask him that question, a lawyer was a master in Jewish law. That's why he was a lawyer, not maybe understanding so much of what we see in different lawyers. But in that time, in that place, he would be a master of the law, that he would understand everything in the Old Covenant. And they would come to him as a result of that knowledge. And Jesus asked him the question back, knowing who he was, and knowing that he's a master, and knowing that he would respond based on Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 27 through 28. So he answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Comes from Deuteronomy. Then in Leviticus he says, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus says to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. The lawyer got the answer right. He answered the million-dollar question correctly. You would think at this point, getting the answer to the million-dollar question would satisfy. All right, I got it right. Walk away. You're done. Go. It's a good time to walk away. But he doesn't. There's a response again in Luke chapter 10. And he comes back, and he, and he asks this question in Luke 10, 29. See, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, it wasn't enough. To justify himself, he had to ask the next question. And the reason the lawyer is asking, who is my neighbor, is because he's looking for the minimal obedience to get into heaven. What's the least I have to do in following the law that is written? Wrong question. We could find ourselves in that place asking, what's the minimal I have to do in my relationship with Christ? What's the least I have to do? And thinking maybe he would trip Jesus up, Jesus does what he always does. He begins to teach further. But let me pose this question. What if salvation has more to do with how we love others than ourselves? Although the importance of having that relationship with Christ and each one of us have to come to that decision of who he is in our life. But Jesus is teaching something greater here. Jesus begins to tell this parable of the Good Samaritan to clearly explain who is our neighbor, the question that he posed. And the first part of that it talks about a journey. And the journey that the man is on, he's going from... Uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 17 miles through this winding path and, and, and it's known in that, that, that travel of that road to be really dangerous. They'd be familiar with this in the story. 
how to get around those who would be thieves and would come and would meet you along the road and, and, and take everything you have and leave you for dead. And, and he talks about this journey that he's on. And that journey could still be relevant for us right now, the journey that we're on, a spiritual journey in this world, that all of humanity is on some kind of journey looking for an answer. And just like the one on the road, we too have trials and tribulations and hurts and pains, and often we're left for half dead as a result of that. And when we're in that place and we're half dead as a result of what's going on in our life in this journey, all of a sudden there's those who pass by. And he spoke about a, a Levite and a priest, and, and we know that there are those who pass by in our life, and we think that there are those that we would have an expectation would stop particularly those who have titles and prestige and influence, but they don't. Those who we expect to step, stop just keep walking. The most important part of this journey of life is those who we encounter along the way. That's what's most important, because that's what happens. And each of us can think about this for a moment. There was someone along your journey or path that led you here right now to be sitting in person. Or if you're watching online, there's someone along the way that you encountered, probably was praying for you, and you didn't even know they were praying, but began to love on you in a way that you never received love before. And that was the most important person in your life, because they redirected your life to a relationship with Christ. It's those who we meet along the way that change that journey that we're on. It always amazes me that it's the least likely person. It's not who we expect it to be, but it's who God sends in our path. See, the Good Samaritan was moved with compassion for another human being. He looked out and he saw someone that was created in the image of God and he was moved that he couldn't walk past, but there was something within his heart that said he had to respond. And for the Good Samaritan, it didn't matter if they were the same race, the same religion, or the same political beliefs. None of that was relevant. What he saw was a child of God and in need of a helping hand. The Samaritan looked, just like each one of us is created in the image of God. He looked and saw another who reflect the image of God and that was in need of help, was in a time of distress, and he couldn't keep walking. He had to stop. First Peter 3 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. The Samaritan lovingly ministered to the stranger's wounds and brought him to a place of recovery. The Samaritan is a picture of Christ and how he's come into our lives. See, the Lord meets us on this journey, and he loves us no matter what our condition is. Say that's good news. I didn't have to clean up my act to come into a relationship with Christ. He met me when my act was a mess. And he still meets me when my act is a mess. And he meets me along that way. And then what he does is he carries us to a place of comfort, and then he pays our debt along the way as well. A debt that we could never repay. Does this sound familiar? As to the Samaritan did for the one who was in need. That he made a way when no one else did. That he intervened in his life. That he changed the course and direction of that person's life forever in that moment. So too does Christ when he comes into our life. 
See, Jesus is teaching us what a disciple looks like and how love, compassion, and mercy works. That's what he's telling the lawyer. You understand, this is what it looks like to follow after me. This is what love will look like, compassion will look like. This is, this is what mercy will look like that you'll understand. And we're called to do likewise, to embrace those who we meet along the way, those we encounter. We cannot, as a Christian, cross the side of the road and walk by. But we're called to love on those that we encounter. To love them just as Christ has loved us and to serve them just as he has served us. So Jesus concludes in the parable as he would. He was asked a question. He responded with a question. And then he gave a teaching in the parable. He concludes with a final question to those who are listening to the lawyer who asked in Luke 10, 36 through 37. He says, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The lawyer responds in verse 37. He said, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He who showed mercy on him. Go and do likewise. That we have to respond that same way. If we desire to know what we must do to inherit eternal life, we're called to love God and love our neighbor. Love those around us. To show mercy to those that we encounter. To show mercy to those who are our neighbor. When we think of mercy, we might have different understandings, but mercy is a love that responds to human need in an unexpected and an unmerited way. Just as we were shown that, we're called to bring that into others' lives, to show them that same mercy. The church must model love for one another by showing our love to the world. That's how we model it. As we love one another, you know, we would hope that people are attracted to a building and a steeple and somehow would just pull their car over and run into church and, and, and come to that knowledge of who Christ is. But Jesus' plan wasn't the steeple, it was the people. That one by one, we would carry that same message of love that he showed us. That same compassion that he showed us. That we would bring mercy into others' lives as he's shown us mercy. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, and Jesus teaches, look, you have your Ten Commandments that you're well aware of. They would have understood that. You have your 613 plus laws that you follow as a result of the Old Covenant, and they would understand that. But Jesus says this, a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. How? He says, as I have loved you that you also love one another. That's how we do it. As he loved us, we have to love someone else. That we call to bring that into someone else's life. And verse 35 says, by this, all will know that you're my disciples. How will they know we're his disciples? By our love. Not just for the love you have the person sitting next to you, by the way. Remember, the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? It was the wrong question. 
But he was looking for the minimal obedience, the minimal that he had to do. And Jesus said, all right, I'll give you the minimal. Go show mercy. How will the world know? How will they respond? How will they know that we're his disciples? They'll know by our love for one another. That's why it's vital that we understand to love God and loving our neighbor. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we can learn and grow so much more of your love, of the love you have for us. But Lord, it's hard sometimes we get stuck in the place of showing it. But Lord, you've got a plan for each of us. And just as you've met each of us, Lord, um, we're called to bring that love into others' lives. And so help us, Lord. Give us grace to carry that out. Teach us a new understanding of showing mercy. And now, if you're here and you haven't asked the Lord in your life or you don't know that love he has for you, God loves you right where you are in the condition you're in. And all you have to do is respond to that love by grace through faith. He calls us into this relationship that we can't earn it. It's not about being a good person. It's about surrendering our life for his will and his life. And he says, what's the plan? Eternal life with him. An eternal life in his perfect love. But we have to respond to it. And Jesus makes the invitation. What I want to do is extend his invitation to you here, in person or online, that you've got to come to that moment. And if you don't know him that way, Jesus wants you to know him that way. And if you'd like to pray to know him in that way, I'm going to pray, and you could just pray after me and ask him into your life. So just say this, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now if you're in person here or you're watching right now on our online campus or one of our platforms, there's a button that comes up to let us know. If you're here on your way out, Stop by the kiosk. Let a host know. Why? Because we value discipleship. And we want to help you on that pathway of discipleship to live out God's perfect purpose and plan for your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you.